Well, amen. And again, Merry Christmas to you. I am, uh, my name is Tom, the other pastor, and I welcome you and I welcome those who are participating online. Uh, I'm going to read to you from one verse, and then we'll talk about that. I'll share with you a few things from it. So here now from John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but that you have sent your Son, the light of the world. We pray that tonight he would enlighten us, that he would give us the great gift of faith in his amazing life, ministry, death, and resurrection. We thank you that his manger was a mini throne, and we want to submit our lives to him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Sorry, the masks kind of dry me out. <laughs> Liz and I celebrated with our family our Christmas about 10 days ago. And there were 10 of us under our one roof. And so the two nights I said, who is sleeping in which room, which closet? And the last night, one of our troops camped in the hallway by the garage door right next to the restroom. Now, a, more, a bit more on that later. I promise you it will be discreet. And like so many of you, our family, we have connected now and then on Zoom, often by text and by phone calls. But nothing, as you know, can replace being together in person as we were. It was 48 hours of togetherness, withness. And friends, these experiences are glimpses of God gifting to us his most excellent present, the presence of his Son, whom we so desperately need. You see, Christmas is magical, but it also presents to us our suffering and our challenges. Sometimes families don't get together, or perhaps this year someone is missing, or something is missing. There's a rift, or there's slight iciness between us, or there's just plain awkwardness that we can't always fix. There's a cartoon, I believe it's Farsight, so you know where this is going, and there are people sitting around a table with a nicely decorated Christmas tree. And it says, every family has one weird relative. If you don't know who it is, it's probably you. I found that so freeing. <laughs> you see, we're all weird in our way, aren't we? Broken and needing our Savior. And Christmas, therefore, speaks profoundly to us that God has come to us among us in our imperfections, in our tensions, in our weirdness, in our human mess. The prophet Isaiah said, For unto us a son shall be born, and you will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. That was God's promise. I love what the poet John Donne said about the incarnation, what we celebrate tonight. Immensity. Cloistered in a womb. Immensity cloistered in a womb. Christ's ample need is given to our 
or supply is given to our immense need. And tonight we're going to look briefly at this stunning verse that deserves six sermons, but I'm going to give you one, not six wrapped up in one. (laughs) First, I want to ask the question, who is he? Well, the text answers. You see, God is, and he is not silent. He speaks with us. He is communicating with us. Now, suppose our trying to understand God was like what so many philosophers have said, that it's a matter of our trying to figure him out, our speculating and going up the ladder of reason, trying to know what God might be. And in that case, if that were the case, friends, we'd have to be awfully tentative about what we know and about what we can say. But you see, God discloses himself. He spoke forth creation. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. The Anglican priest and Cambridge physicist, J.C. Polkinghorne, wrote, the physical fabric of our world is endowed with transparent, rational beauty. And it beggars belief, beggars, he was British, (laughs) it begs belief that this is simply a fortunate byproduct of the struggle for life. In other words, he's saying it's not mere evolutionary chance why we are all here tonight. You see, God spoke forth the world through his Son, who is responsible for all the rational beauty of this creation that we see. Someone sent my family and me a Stunning photo of a rainbow tonight. Just from right over here was the view. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him. And so our verse is picking up Genesis 1 that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That is John 1 reflecting Genesis 1. And you see, the Word isn't therefore a mere attribute of God, but it's His supreme revelation. It is saying that the Word, the Son of God, is the same in essence as God Himself, sharing His exact nature, yet He is a distinct person. And so John 1 is telling us that God has spoken finally, friends, definitively and beautifully in the Word made flesh. No one has ever seen God, John says, but the Word has made Him known. And so what God ultimately wants to say to us tonight and in His Word is not lost in translation, at least on His side. It is often lost on our side and our interpretation, but God has communicated so clearly and beautifully, and so are you listening? If so, that's wonderful. If not, why not? What alternative messages are you heeding in this season? You see, all of the Bible says that no one else has the words of life or is the word of life. Jesus himself said so. And so God came to us in the earthiest way possible. The language here is that he's putting on our very flesh, our skin. 
And that means that Jesus is fully immersed in our human experience. Some years ago, a pop singer asked, what if God was one of us, just a stranger on a bus? Well, he was. He is. And dear friends, that means that the one who is sovereign over all of the stars subjected himself to our scars. He subjected himself to our fleshly embodied experience. And that means, as Pastor Tim Keller has said, I am God, Jesus said, I am God become breakable, killable, vulnerable. I am broken so that you might become whole. Jesus took on our sorrows in our flesh to gift us his joy. And that's such wonderful news. I hope you're heeding it tonight. Well, what does he do? What does the Word made flesh do? Well, it says that he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. Literally, this means that he pitched his tent in our midst. Now, while our grandkids were here and our family, one of the things we did is we pitched not one but two tents for them. And it was a sweet, lovely, fun place for them to have fun, to connect with us, to enjoy their fantasy, to be safe. And these tents made me think of what the Scripture says throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, that God met with His people in a special way in the wilderness by pitching or having His people pitch a tent. And then that gave way later to the tabernacle. And these dwellings were special places where, where heaven and earth were connected. Where God was saying, I want to meet with you. but My presence is too overwhelming to do that directly. So God accommodated His presence to us through these dwellings. And so John 1 picks up that imagery and says that the Word made flesh pitched His tent among us. God moved into our neighborhood. And so we sang tonight, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. And friends, this means that God is with us. I was thinking this week about how this in some ways contrasts with, with what we read in Genesis 18. There's a, a tough account there where God's servant Abraham was told to flee the doomed cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in some ways, our cultural moment is experiencing this, this kind of separation. People are talking about getting out of the states where they don't agree with the leadership or with the people. And there's the idea, let's get out. Let's go away. And yet the Son of God, He did not run from the doomed city, friends. He ran toward it. He come to, came to identify with its inhabitants to save us, to make us right, and to mend what is fractured. You see, Abraham pleaded for the doomed cities, but the Son of God pleaded 
for us to be spared by his one righteous life. And God happily answers him. God happily answers him. And this means that God has stepped into our mess and he hasn't removed himself from all the challenges that we go through. Now, I mentioned that one of our troops slept in the hallway. And I'll try to be discreet about this, but he got something and it wasn't COVID. And he wasn't feeling well. He a tough guy at 27 and he had to go sequester himself. And uh, his mother, <laughs> because once a mom, always a mom, was very much there, you know, getting out the bleach, going to the store to buy Gatorade. His dad was texting him empathetic messages from upstairs. Now, that's not entirely true. I shared with him my jacket and my hat, um, <laughs> ready to bleach it when he was done. This made me think about the incarnation. Jesus did not keep himself away from us and our sicknesses and our sorrows and our trials. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. And so this means that though he never had a miscarriage, he knew what it was like to experience loss. He gets you. He was familiar with family letting him down and friends flaking out on him. Jesus knew the power of temptation more than any of us ever will. What it's like to feel swamped by discouragement, as some of you do and have this last year. He knew what it was like to throw up his hands in frustration, to weep with sadness, and yet to trust his Father all the way through. Jesus likely didn't suffer from cancer, and he certainly never had COVID, but he bore our infirmities. And as a man of sorrows, he was acquainted with our grief, as Isaiah says. And he took all of this so that he might gift to us his joy. You see, the early church father Athanasius said, For that which Christ has not assumed, he has not healed. That's why John says he took on our very flesh everything that is human and earthly about us. He fully identified with us so that we might be fully united to God. So that's what he's done. Well, how do we respond? How do we respond? John emphatically affirms in this chapter that we beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Later on in 1 John the writer says, we have seen him with our eyes, that which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Again, he wants to emphasize that divinity that has come to dwell with us is fully verifiable. These folks stake their very lives and their martyrdom on it. You see, the one born in a manger, which was his mini throne, he lived and he died and he rose with vindicated stars, scars. He said later in John chapter 20 to doubting Thomas, put your finger here and see my wounds. 
Friends, as we're looking for glory and we see it in rainbows and we have it in these different experiences, we are meant to ultimately find it in the Son of God, the Word made flesh that has dwelt among us. You see, God's glory is His magnificence, His worth, His loveliness, the grandeur of His perfections. But there's a tough reality to this. You see, this awesome glory that tabernacled among us is comforting, but He's also threatening. For Romans 3 says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all know this, and each of us has gone to his or her own ways. As the prophet Jeremiah asked, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory, the glory of God, for that which does not profit. And I can't count the the amount of times I've done that in 2021. Trying to find glory and health in my house, in my family. And these are wonderful gifts, but they cannot be to us the very glory of God that Christ is. You know, when our granddaughter Amelia uh, gets upset, and she's two and a half, her parents did not teach her this. We're not sure where she got it. But, but when she's, she's upset, she'll sometimes start to scowl and cry. And she'll cry out, What's happening? (laughs) What's happening? Well, the Bible asks, what's happening? What's happening on a far grander scale? And it tells us, and we know this experientially, that we all tend toward curvature of the soul. What do I mean by that? We are bent towards self-exaltation, self-focus. And then we try our hand at self-salvation, and then we end up in self-pity. This is what Martin Luther and others emphasized. You see, we put ourselves in place of God so often, even in the really beautiful things that we do that are tainted with so much self. This year, and I wrote this down, I texted it to myself, and like Forrest, I was driving, and I saw a license plate frame, and it was one of those double then triple takes. On the top, it said, goddess. On the bottom, it said, formerly queen. And I thought, man, uh, pray for her husband or boyfriend. Wow. That is not what you would call biblical evolution. But friends, we do this kind of displacement with God all the time. I I spoke to a mature Christian this week who said, you know, do you ever notice that when it comes to choosing family Christmas cards, we all look at the picture that we look the best in and that's the one we want to choose? Or is that just me and this person? We are all curved towards self. A few months ago, I heard a a powerful lecture by a Christian philosopher, some of you know, Dallas Willard, and I believe he was speaking at Stanford University, and he said that our culture has become the culture of Friedrich Nietzsche, and that's dominating our way of seeing things. And he said, 
that Nietzschean viewpoint is the declaration of the freedom of my mind enclosed on itself as we declare as a culture the death of God. And this leads to us being condemned to aloneness and self-preoccupation. But you see, God doesn't lead us, leave us there. And yet, we see this fall from glory in our family relationships and our friendships, candidly sometimes in our churches, as we fail to love and forgive and to come close to others. Again, a very fresh story. I know of a family in which two of its members got in a heated exchange and hurled, I think, towels at each other or napkins. Well, they didn't hurt each other, obviously, with those projectiles, but the words did harm. And they're not speaking to each other this Christmas. And some of you know this kind of brokenness or awkwardness or weirdness in your families. Yet, friends, the great news of Christmas is that the glory of God in Christ hasn't come to crush us, but to heal us, to forgive our fractured relationship with God, to mend that relationship, and to mend it with each other. And then someday he will mend even our bodies. You see, the Word made flesh dwelling among us, John says, is full of grace Magnificent, overflowing grace. Grace to the power of ten. And this grace is God's favor toward us. It is God accepting us and forgiving us despite the fact that we don't earn this at all. And what's really kind of funny and, and odd uh, is that at Christmas, we actually so often in our culture turn the message of unearned grace on its head, right? If you're naughty, you get nothing. But if you're nice, a good churchgoer, you stay out of trouble, out of jail, you get good things. I inadvertently was supporting this message when about four years ago, I bought cards that I gave to our church staff, <laughs> and on the outside they said Merry Christmas, but on the inside they said, hope the holidays are filled with all the wonderful things you deserve. I had to write oops in all of them and cross that out. You see, Christ's grace and his love are not earned, they are counter-deserved in fact. And so again, that's why we have sung the beautiful, surprising words tonight, O come, all you unfaithful. That's me, that's you. Come, weak and unstable, come, you're not alone. O come, guilty and hiding ones. There is no need to run, see what God has done. And this word made flesh, that dwells among us is full of not only grace, but truth. And boy, does our culture need to hear this. You see, it's not my truth. It's not your truth. It's not live your truth. No. Christ is full of truth as the way, the truth, and the life. As He powerfully stated the truth for which He died. You see, John 1 gives us a tough note in all of this. It says that 
His own did not receive him. Sometimes we can be immersed in this. We've read the Bible. We've heard it from our parents. We've been to Christian camp. But there are times where we can want to live in our own darkness, in our own self-enclosure, our own self-preoccupation, and we miss the light of the world. But John says those who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This week, I spoke to somebody who lost her father. And it's the second spectacular significant loss in 2021. And I so appreciated uh, her candor, her brokenness, her expressing her struggle. And she said to me, it feels like I am nobody's child now. And friends, it was such an honor to tell her, yes, you are. You are God's child through his beloved son that he gave to you. The word made flesh. God with you and for you. And she said, amen. She believes in this. She knows that she is not an orphan. She is adopted. You see, God does not leave us to the condemnation of aloneness. And so on this beautiful Christmas Eve, I encourage you, John encourages you, Jesus calls you to receive him receiving you. Welcome the word dwelling with you, welcoming you. Pastor Dane Ortland has said, go to Jesus, which means open yourself up to him. Let him love you. He loves you so. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that tonight you would help us be filled with the wonder of who Christ is that you sent the eternal Word, the one who shares your very essence, your very nature, and yet who is distinct from you. We thank you that you sent him, your Son, to be our Savior, to make us sons and daughters. We thank you that he does not keep us at arm's length, but that he came very close, that he took our contamination to make us clean, that he took our brokenness to make us whole, that he took our sorrows to give us joy, that he plunged himself into our death to give us life. And God, we pray that tonight you would give us all the gift of believing in Jesus so that we might know him who knows us, that we might receive him as he receives us. God, we pray that we would not be locked in this Nietzschean world of self-preoccupation and the mind in itself alone and condemned. But God, free us by running to Jesus and knowing how much He loves us, how much You love us. Thank You for this precious gift, the present 
of the presence of the Son of God who is Your grace for us and the only way, the only truth, the only life for any of us. Amen.